Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes, and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode. Okay, let's get started. Today's daf, Mesechus Gitin, is daf Nuntes 59. We are beginning the last two words of Nun Ches Amad Beis. We're going to have four sections in today's daf. The first is going to be a discussion of the count or the vote of Rebbe. We're going to see what was Rebbe's opinion regarding how voting was meant to be done. And then we're going to discuss the concept of Rebbe's court being considered, or Rebbe being considered Torah Gdullah unique status throughout history. See, there's a few more people like this. Then we'll move on to Atikana Olam of Cheresh and Peutos. Third halach is going to be seven rulings of Darki Shalom. And then we'll discuss, as the fourth point of the day, the concept that a Kohen gets the first aliyah. Well, why is that? And we'll explain that. And then we'll discuss further laws of the order when it comes to Kriya Torah. So let's get started. Omar Rav. So Rav says, the bottom of Nun Chesmud Beis. Rav says, I was there when Rebbe's court convened and voted, meaning that I was there when they voted and Rebbe concluded, which is the third ruling of our Mishnah prior, that if the land stayed in the lands of the, in the hands of the Sikrikun for 12 months, anyone who purchases it can keep it, and he just has to give a quarter of the value to the original owner. So I was there in that count. And from me, they started to vote from the beginning. I was the first one that voted. Now Rashi says over here, what is the emphasis I was the first one? Either it emphasizes the fact that he was like an average person on Rebbe's court, or actually he was the smallest of Rebbe's court. So Rav is saying that they started from me, which implies that they started from the smallest person on the court, and Rav was the smallest. <coughs> Asks the Gemara, the least significant, the least significant. But the problem is, we learned in a Mishnah Sanhedrin, when it comes to monetary law, or when it comes to Tuma and Tahara law, so if there's a vote or a count that's being taken in terms of the halacha, you start from the greatest person. But when it comes to Dine Nefashas, when it comes to uh, capital, capital punishment, capital punishment, you start from the side, means you don't start from the greatest person. Ask the Gemara, this is talking about monetary law, so why are you starting from Rav, assuming Rav is not the greatest one, you see clearly when it comes to monetary law, you, you could start from the greatest one. Now the logic behind this, as Rashi explains, is because there is a puzzle that says, Lisana al-Riv, which we expound to mean Losan al-Rav, that when it comes to the way we simply put, we expound the Pasuk is when it comes to um, capital punishment type law, you can't start from the greatest person because if you would, then everybody would just follow suit in terms of what he paskins. When it comes to such rulings, you have to have an unbiased opinion and therefore you'd have to start from not the greatest person. Ask the Gemara, this isn't capital punishment, so why would you start from the smaller person? You could start from the greatest person. Sha'ani minyana deve Rebbe, and Rebbe's votes, Rebbe's court was different. Because when it came to Rebbe's court, 
any type of vote, even momentous, monetary laws, they'd always start from the side, meaning they would always start from the smaller people, not from Rebbe, the greatest person. So Rashi explains the reason is because they expounded that Pasuk that I quoted above. It's even referring to monetary law, not only to capital punishment. Tosva says the reason Rebbe's court always started from the smaller people in terms of the votes, in terms of halacha, is as Tosva says, because of Anava. He wanted to show they didn't want to show that he was the greatest one, so they didn't start from Rebbe, even though the halach is you could start from the greatest person when it comes to uh, monetary law. Let's continue. The Gemara tells us now something fascinating. My grandfather likes to quote this. And of Amar Rabba Moshe, Vi'ad Rebbe, from the days of Moshe until Rebbe. So Moshe gave us Torah Shevich Sav, and, and Torah Shebaal Peh, but meaning he didn't give Torah Shebaal Peh, it was given orally and not written down. Until Rebbe, Rebbe who gave us the Mishnayis written down, Lomatzinu Torah Gidula B'makom Echad. We never found that there was Torah, right, Torah prowess, greatness in Torah, as well as Gidula, which means wealth, financial esteem, financial prestige, Rashi says, Osher, in one place. Meaning there was never, in bet between these days, between Moshe and Rebbe, there was no one individual in the generation that possessed both greatness in Torah as well as the wealthiest person in the generation. Which is very interesting because it means Moshe and Rebbe both had significant historical contributions to Torah. Moshe gave us the Torah. Rebbe wrote down Mishnayis to preserve it. We're going to learn more about this later. Fascinating concept. But, whoa, the Gemara says, wait a second. Do we not find throughout history that there was another person who possessed the greatness in both? Oh, Yeshua. We have Yeshua ben Nun. Yeshua took over after Moshe, and he became the primary teacher, and he was also the wealthiest. So the Gemara says, no, have a Lazar, because there was a Lazar ben Aaron Cohen, the next to Cohen Gadol, he was also great in Torah. I have a Lazar, but there was, there was a Lazar. Hava Pinchas, the Gemara answers, yeah, but there was Pinchas. Pinchas was his, right, his, the son of Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Cohen, and he was also great in Torah. But Hava Pinchas, okay, but what about Pinchas and his daughter? Are we knowing greatness in Torah? So, Vahava Pinchas, Lachar, there was Pinchas. No, there was Kenim. There were still Zakenim in that generation that had nourished and learned from Yoshua, and they were great in Torah too. Hohava Shaul. Oh, so what about the first Jewish king? His name was Shaul. And Rashi says, actually, a very interesting thing, is that even though he didn't teach Torah to other people, he was tremendous in Torah. And he was the king, so he was very wealthy. So he was the wealthiest in his daughter. Hava Shmuel. The Gemara says, yeah, but there was another person in his generation called Shmuel. Shmuel actually was the Navi, and he appointed Shaul as the king. So since Shmuel was there, Shaul wasn't unique in this way. Aye, the Gemara says, We know Shmuel died before Shaul. Actually, Gemara in Tainus explains the whole background to that. But we know Shmuel died before Shaul. So there would have been a point where Shaul was unique in his generation. Gemara says, That it was only from Moshe till Rebbe. We're talking about all of the years of his reign. And therefore, since Shaul, it was interrupted by Shmuel's greatness. So therefore, it wouldn't have been considered Torah like Moshe and Rebbe. David. What about David HaMelech? David HaMelech was the greatest in his generation in both of these ways. And for the Gemara, Hava Irah Yeah, but there was another fellow, his name was Irah And he was also a great person in Torah. Rashi says he used to teach Torah to many, many people. But the problem is, Ira passed away before Dovitz. And again, it has to be that we're talking about somebody who was unique in these ways for his entire reign. So therefore, since Ira Yiri overlapped Dovid, it wouldn't be considered that. What about Shlaima? He was Chacham Mikol He was the wealthiest. 
The Gemara says, "Have a Shemi ben Geira." So there was a great person in his generation called Shemi ben Geira. Now, Shemi ben Geira, we know he acted in a certain way inappropriately towards David, and Shlomo killed him. So the Gemara says, "Vahakatli," but we know Shlomo killed him. So even though he was great in Torah, he wasn't there the entire time. So the Gemara says, "Kulishnei Kamrin," and again, like we said before, we're saying that these people, Moshe and Rebbe, possessed this unique character for all of their years, as opposed to Shlomo. It wasn't unique to him because Shem ben Gera overlapped. Oh, we had a Jewish king in, in Yehuda called Chizkiah, who was a tremendous person and influenced Klal Yisrael in great ways, and he was both great in Torah and Gedula. So the Gemara says, have a Shavna. There was a person there whose name was Shavna, and Shavna was also great in Torah. Oh, but one second, but Shavna was killed by Sancherev, says Rashi, Melech Ashur. Again, it has to be, we're talking about unique people that possess both these characters in their entirety of their career, and Chizkiah uh, didn't because Shavna overlapped him. The great Ezra who brought the Jews back from Bavel, he possessed both Torah and Gedul in his generation, and the Gemara concludes, there was another fellow there named Nechemi ben Chachalaya. We know the famous Sefer is called Ezra Nechemia because they were two leaders of the generation, so it wouldn't have been unique to Ezra. <coughs> I also say, so he wants to add on to this teaching. From the days of Rebbe until Rav Ashi, very interesting. We don't find Torah means Rav Ashi seems to possess it as well. Now Rav Ashi wrote down the Gemara. So what would come out is, is that Moshe gave us the Torah, Rebbe wrote down the Mishnayis, and Ravashi wrote down the Gemara, the, those three individuals possessed Torah, Gedulah, B'makom Echad, but in between it didn't exist. Below, the Gemara says, is that true? It didn't. But we had the great Rav Huna, and Rav Huna was Torah, Gedulah, B'makom Echad. The Gemara answers, Shani, Huna, Bar Nasan, Demeka, Pavakayafle, L'Ravashi. Rav Huna was secondary. He was, uh, subs, uh, su- he was uh, subjugated to Ravashi. Subordinated, thank you, to Rav Ashi. So therefore, he wouldn't have been considered Torah Gedulah Makom Echad as there was someone else in the generation who was greater than him, Rav Ashi. Okay, Zak the Gemara Mishnah, the second point of the day. Now we have Allah as follows. Cheresh is a deaf mute, and generally deaf mute is considered as not having das, and therefore his kinyanim shouldn't be effective. Similarly, you'd say by a katan, by a child. We're going to see there's a tikkun oilam in this Mishnah. Chazal wanted that a cheresh and children should be able to create certain types of transactions, Kidechayev, as we'll see in the Gemara, in order that they can survive, that they can sustain themselves. Their father passes away. For whatever reason, no one's taking care of them. Or a cheresh, bechlal, he's just a deaf mute. If we don't allow them to do any transactions in halacha because their rice that's not effective, so then they'll be stuck without the capacity to purchase, to sell, to create normative transactions of livelihood. So therefore, there's certain transactions we're about to learn, Chazal allowed them to do, that it's considered legally binding. So the Mishnah says, when it comes to a cheresh, roimez. Now, roimez means he can make some sort of a gesture, which Rashi says is with his hands or with his head. Or venirmas, we can gesture to him with our hands and his head, and he can respond to that as well with his hands and his head. And that would be an effective kinyan, which means even though he can't speak, he can't communicate verbally what it is that he wants, if he can gesture with his hands or with his head, and we can learn from that what it is that he wants, that would be an effective kinyan as well. But wait a second, because we're going to see what type of kinyanim. Uben Becerra adds to this, and he says, that he can even gesture by just moving his lips, or we can gesture to him, we can motion to him, and he can gesture back by moving his lips, which is a less significant form of 
showing your intention. But Ben Bezerra says that would also be effective in terms of Kinyanim. And the Mishnah says, This is all true when it comes to movable properties. When it comes to land, such Kinyanim would not be recognized. When it comes to movable properties, so that they should have the capacity to live in society, they can make such transactions, again, within this Machlokas. Now, Hapa'utas, the second ruling of the Mishnah, is children. So again, their kinyanim wouldn't be recognized generally, but mekhan mekach umemker and memker, their purchases are effective, their sales are considered recognized, but again, b'metaltalin, only by movable objects. So Amr ibn Nachman, ibn Nachman says, machloikis b'metaltalin, this debate between the Tanakama and ben Becerra, if you need the higher level of gesture of romes or venirmas, or if you only need moving with the lips, like ben Becerra says, that's only regarding metaltalin, avol begitin, but regarding divorce, meaning if a cherish wants to divorce his wife, everybody agrees it would have to be done with gesture, with the hands or the head. It wouldn't be effective just with moving the lips. So the Gemara says, Pshita, this is obvious. Our mission only taught metaltalin. So how, why would you assume that the machlokis would also be regarding gittin? You might have said, You may have said that the mission is only emphasizing metaltalin to say, even with metaltalin, there's a debate. But begitin as well, regarding gitin, maybe there's also such a debate. But the Chiddush would be that our Mishnah is saying, even regarding metaltalin, Ben Becerra has the leniency so as to say it could be only a verbal, a mouth gesture. Our Mishnah is unique in saying that it's only regarding metaltalin there's such a debate, but regarding gitin, there would have to be more of a significant gesture like the Tanakhama says. There's another version. The machlokis is the same, actually, both regarding metaltalin and gitin. So the Gemara says in this machlokis, Ben Becerra would maintain his position. All you need to do is some sort of a mouth gesture, a lip gesture, and that would be effective for gitin purposes as well. Ay, baha, anon metaltalin, not. Our Mishnah teaches metaltalin. The Gemara says, ema af metaltalin. Our Mishnah means that even regarding metaltalin, Ben Becerra maintains his position. But regarding gitin, he would also say you could just have some sort of a lip gesture to also divorce one's wife. The second point of our Mishnah was that children, their purchases and their sales are effective regarding movable objects. So the Gemara says, until what age? means how young can a child be that his transactions of metaltalin would be effective? So Rav Yehuda Rav Yitzchak Berei Kibarshis Barshev. So Rav Yehuda motioned towards Rav Yitzchak, his son, and said, like my son, six or seven years old. So he could even be six or seven years old. Now Rav Hunt, Rav Kahana Amar, Kibar Shev, Kibar Tamni. Rav Kahana said he could be like seven or eight years old. Mas Nisatan and Abraisad said, Kivar Tesha, Kivar Esar, nine or ten years old. But like Pligi, but there's no debate between these three opinions. Each child is according to his sharpness, meaning if a child's intellect is already matured to a certain degree, even at six or seven he can do such transactions. If not as much, so then when he gets a little older, such transactions will be rabbinically recognized. What's the reason the rabbis gave such a leniency? In order that he could survive, yet his father's not around to deal with his transactions, so Kedechayev allows him that if there's metaltal that needs to be transacted, he is able to create those transactions. Now, this is really. Exactly, you're right. Cherish, this is a life, a lifelong uh, challenge, and therefore Takana, exactly. Now, the Gemara goes on a tangent just because we're quoting the same author, and really this is an unrelated discussion, but it's just the same author. So the Pasuk tells Malachim Beis, 
it says he said to the one that was appointed over the wardrobe, Give take out clothing for all those who worship the Baal, which is Avodah Zara. So my Meltacha, what is Meltacha? Now Meltacha is the wardrobe, the one in charge of the clothing, but it also refers to linen. So what does this language of Meltacha come from? Something that is rolled and stretched. In the production of linen, it's called Meltacha because in the production of linen, they would roll the material and stretch it. Now, a related teaching. That Rabbi Yochanan, when, when Dimi said, came, he said, Rabbi Yochanan said, that Bonyam Bas Nonyam, this fellow who was a very wealthy person, sent Lerebi to Rebi, Suvni Vechome Silsolo Milmala. He sent four types of expensive linens. Now, why were they called this? Sivni Vechomes, they were called Simni Vechomes, sorry, excuse me. They were, Sivni Vechomes is Ka'amguza Upalgedam Guza, that it was a very expensive, thin material of linen, and it was able to be folded to the, the size of a nut and a half, meaning you could take a lar- large material and it could be folded in a very small amount, compact size, because of how uh, expensive or unique this material was. Silsalo Milmala, now this other, the other two materials we said of linen, is kepistika upalgidepistika, is they could be folded like an acorn and a half, again, a very small amount. My milmala, what is the language of milmala? Again, it's a linen that can be, uh, that was rubbed and stretched when it was produced. Now let's go back to the story of Pe'udas. The Gemara wonders, if you're telling me that their transactions are effective, what about laws of ona? See, overcharging is something we know in regards to a gadol, there's halach of a six. If it's less than a six, the transaction's effective, and you just have to pay back the overcharging. If it's more than a six, it's bottle. So what about with these kids? Once you're creating a law that their transactions are effective, what about regarding their overcharging or undercharging regarding that kind of a law? It's the same as a gadol. It's a six measurement, as I just explained. Boy, I asked the final point over here. Abai asked, Matnaso Mai, what about regarding their gifts? You're saying they can make transactions and sales. Can they also gift items? Or is gifting not allowed? Now, one could argue gifting should be allowed because if they're gifting, maybe that has some transactional benefit for them, so it should be included in the Takana. So Rav Yemar said it's not considered a transaction, and Rav Ravashi said it is. So what happened was, the people in the base Medrash mistakenly switched these opinions around and sent this, these opinions in front of Rav Mordechai. Now Rav Mordechai was a Talmud of Ravashi, and he had received that Marba Ravashi, the son of Ravashi, had said it's not considered a gift. So Amr Leso, Rav Mordechai said, Zilu Amr Lebar Mar, go tell Mar Bar Ravashi, Lav Hachi Ava wasn't there a story? Ki Havakoi Mar, Chad Karia Arav, Chad Karia Darga, that when your father, Ravashi, was standing one leg on the ground and one leg on the steps to go upstairs in the base medrash, Va'amarnale, we said to him, Matnasamai, what's the halacha regarding the gifts of a child? Va'amarlan, and he said to us, Matnasamatana, it is an effective transaction. Achas Matnashchivmeira, whether it was a child who was on his deathbed, Va'achas Matnasbari, a healthy child, Achas Matnamaruba, Va'achas Matnamuet. 
that's orc, whether it's a large gift or a small gift, in all cases, it is considered a gift. So obviously you're wrong, Marbaravashi, that it's not it's, it is not, not considered a transaction. Now, the real reason that is because Marbaravashi really said, like his father, they had just mistakenly shifted around his opinions. Actually, in, real, in reality, he did hold like his father, it is considered a gift. Let's move on to the third section of the day now. Very interesting ideas we're about to present. Seven rulings the mission is about to tell us, bottom of the Ntesim Ralif, that are, were uh, established because of Darkei Shalom, maintaining peace amongst the people. We're going to see amongst the Jewish people, as well as between the Jews and the Goyim. Elu Devarim Amru Mipnei Darkei Shalom. This is similar to Tikkun Olam, so that's why it's taught here. These were things that Chazal said because of Darkei Shalom, to maintain peace. Number one. Kohen, Korah, Rishon, first and Shul. The Kohen gets the first Aliyah. Va'achar of Levi, then Levi. Va'achar of Yisrael, and then Yisrael gets Shlishi. Mipnei Darkei Shalom. Because of maintenance of peace. Because if you would, if you're able to give the Aliyahs to anyone, they would create Machlokas, who gets the first Aliyah. So Chazal enacted, no. Kohen, Levi, Yisrael, that's the order of how it is. We see there's enough machlokis even beyond that. Who gets shlishi revi chamishi shishi shvi? So you imagine if it was also the first three. Number two, ma'arvin bebayis yashon. Very interesting halacha as well. When it comes to erev chatzeros, so you had a lot of houses in one courtyard, and they would put bread or food from one of those. Everyone would donate money to put food in one of those houses to allow carrying on Shabbos in all of that area. So you would keep the food for the erev in the house, the old house, whichever house it was always in, and you don't change from that. Because otherwise people might say, I want the honor of it. You have it here in the shul. So that, this, is, this is the bias yashon. This was the extension of the community before, so it was limited. Where is it? By the enemy. Aha, there you go. So that's the bias yashon. This is considered the established place of residence for it. Again, because otherwise people will fight. Turning to Testament Bays. Yeah, they still fight about it, right. Number three, the pit that is closest to the stream of water fills up first, because of Darkei Shalom. So Rashi explains what that means is, the way it was is that they used to have a canal that water would flow down, and then there were individual fields along the way. Next to the person's field, there was a bore, there was a pit that he would fill up from the canal, and the way he would fill it up is by damming up the canal momentarily and fill it up. Now, if there was no order for this, you could imagine that the ones farther downstream would start fighting, why are you damming it up first? And so the answer is, whichever one's closest to the canal would dam up first, and then so on and so forth. It would create Dark Yishalom again. Number four, Mitsudos Chayeva Oifas Vidagim. Now we're going to have some debates. Mitsudos Chayeva Oifas Vidagim. When it comes to traps, we're going to see in the Gemara later that don't have somewhat of an inside. So, really, on a Torah level, these traps do not make whatever it catches, whether it's chaya, wild animals, ofos, birds, dog, and fish, yesh bohemishum gezel. Even though on a Doraisa level, it's not considered yours what these traps catch. There is considered gezel mipnei darkei shalom. It is considered gezel if somebody else would take out of your trap what your trap has caught. But according to the Tanakhama, this is only because of darkei shalom. We're going to see, as opposed to Rabbi Omer, gezel gomor, it's actually a rabbinically enacted real gezel. We'll see in the Gemara what the nafkamina is between them. Your trap, meaning you had a trap out in the field. We're going to see it's a unique kind of trap. And if somebody went and chopped it from your trap, that would be it would be gezel either because of Dark Yisholem or gezel gomer midivreya midrabanan. We'll see in the Gemara the nafkamina between them. 
And Ruh Halacha number five, Mitzias Chere Shoitivikatan, when it comes to the lost objects that were found <coughs> by a Chere Shoitivikatan, Yesh Bohem Mishum Gezel, again, their Kinyanim shouldn't be effective, but it will be considered Gezel if somebody takes from them, Mipnei Dark Yeshalom, according to Tanakama, again, because of Dark Yeshalom, Rabbiosi Omer Gezel Gomor, Rabbiosi says, that's actually Gezel Midrabanan Mamish Gezel, and we'll see in the Gemara again the Nafkamina. And six, a similar idea, Ani Amenake Baroshazai, so you have a poor person who is removing olives from the top of someone's tree. Now these are olives he's allowed to take, and he's hitting them to the ground. So someone could come along and chop them. But mashatacht of gezel, whatever is under him that he has been working on, that's gezel mipnei darkei shalom because of darkei shalom. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi says gezel gamor. That would actually be gezel midrabanan if somebody would come along and take them from him because clearly he's acquired these already. Final halacha in the Mishnah. Ein memachin biyad aniye Very interesting point. We will not protest against poor people that are goyim. Beleket Upeya, regarding the gifts that are usually given to poor people that are Jews, again, <clears throat> because of this concept of Darke Shalom. So you have your Beleket Shechovah out in the fields, Goyim that are poor come along, you don't protest, let them take with Aniyah Yisrael as well. We're going to learn more halachas like this later, but these are fascinating rulings. You want to maintain peace in the, in the country, so don't start being racist towards the Goyim. If there's like it should let them take some also. You, it, it doesn't create animosity. It will, will not create it's animosity. Really well, it's hefker really for you. You want to give it to Yisrael, at Yisrael. So, okay. Let's get back to that. Let's go to the fourth point of the day. Not necessarily, exactly. Because it's gifts. It's really for Aniyah Yisrael. That's what it's for, right? And that's a good point you're making. Though. Okay, the fourth, fourth section of the day. Now, we're going to discuss now this concept of Kohen. The first Dark Yisholem rule in our Mishnah, which is that a Kohen gets the first Aliyah in Shul. So Menani Mili, the Gemara says, where do we know this from, that the Kohen gets the first Aliyah, Levi gets the second, etc. So the Gemara quotes a bunch of Pesukim now, let's see. So Amar Masna to Amar Kras, the first one is the Pasuk tells us in, in, in uh, Sefer Dvarim, it says, Vayichtav Moshe Satoirazais, Moshe wrote this Torah, Vayidner la Koihanim b'nei Levi, he gave it to the Koihanim, the sons of Levi. Now why does it have to say Koihanim, the sons of Levi? We know Koihanim come from Levi. Do I not know that the Kohanim come from the tribe of Levi? Ella, <coughs> the Gemara says, Kohen Levi. What it's saying is he was giving them to read. And what was he saying? First the Kohen reads, and then Levi reads, it's like a comma. So you see from here a reference that the Kohen reads first, and then Levi. Yeah. That's the first answer. Now the second answer is similar to Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha Amar Mehacha. It says in the Pasuk also in Dvarim, it says, The Kohanim, the sons of Levi, approached. Do I not know that the Kohanim are from the Shevet Levi? Rather, it means to say, first the Kohen would get the Aliyah, and then the Levi gets the second. Ravashi is a third answer. It's a Pasuk in Divrei Ayam. It says that the sons of Ahar Amram were Aaron and Moshe, and Aharon was separated to be sanctified in the holiest of ways. You see, he was holier, meaning he's going to get the first Aliyah, and then Levi from Moshe will get the second. Fourth answer. The Pasuk says, and this is really the Makar in the Torah, it says, V'kidashtoi. The Pasuk says, V'kidashtoi. He is, it says, he, you sanctify the Kohen, you give him special status because he eats the bread of Hashem. 
Kadosh Yelach, he will be holy for you. That's the Pasuk. So the way we explain the Pasuk is, L'chol davr Kedusha, for all matters of Kedusha he is sanctified, including the fact that he gets the first Aliyah in Shul, because that's a matter of Kedusha. Tanat Verabi Yishmael, on this note, Verabi Yishmael taught, Bekidasha, L'chol davr Kedusha, when it comes to all matters of holiness, you sanctify him. L'fdoach Rishon, he opens up first. Rashi says, whether it's regarding Torah, he gets the first Aliyah. Whether it's regarding Yeshiva, he speaks first when it comes to teaching. Whatever it is, Ulevarich Rishon, he does Birkas Hamazan first, Elit Almana Yafa Rishon, he gets the first portion of uh, food when it comes to eating first. All of these things are given to him first. Fine. So the Gemara says, I'm really a bailer of Yosef. Bailer says for Yosef, one second. Bailer says to his rabbi of Yosef, they darki shalom. You're on our Mishnah. We said it's because of darki shalom he gets the first aliyah. But the way you're coming out here, the kiddushta is a pasuk, pasuk in the Torah. So how can you say then that he's getting the first aliyah because of darki shalom, which is rabbinic in nature? Clearly, it's da'iraisa. So Merlei, so Rabbi Yosef responded. It is Dairaisa, but the Dairaisa, the Torah says, because of Dark Shalom. So the Gemara says, let me just finish the point. So the Gemara says, But the entire Torah is because of Dark Shalom. Because the Pasuk says, Its ways are ways of pleasantness. And all of its paths are, ple- are, are, are peace. So if you're telling me it's because of Dark Shalom, but it's Dairaisa, so then what's unique about this idea of Kohen getting the first Aliyah? So Abayi says, Rather, it's like the teaching of Rabbah, of his Rebbe, Abayi's Rebbe, Rabbah. Titania, as the Brisa teaches, Shnayim, when there's two people that are eating together, they have to wait for each other. They shouldn't eat one before the other. It's Derech Eretz. Shlosh, if there's three people eating together, they don't have to wait for someone, one of them if one of them is delaying for some reason. Now, in general, the Balabayas who breaks the bread is the one who gets the first portion too. If he wants to give honor to his Rebbe or Lamisha someone who's greater than him, he is allowed to. So on that, Rabbah commented, That's only regarding eating a meal. You can give kava to the one who's greater. But in shul, you're not allowed to. Because they're going to come to fight. So it means like this. teaches they get the first aliyah. But you may have thought, if a coin wanted, he could say, I want to give the aliyah to somebody who's greater than me. The answer is, the Rabbana came along and said, you can't do that. Because once you start deciding who gets the first aliyah, so then the next day in Shul, someone's going to say, why don't you give it to me or give it to me or give it to him? That's going to cause animosity. So therefore, the Rabbana said, it always has to be, Kohen Barosh, Kohen gets the first aliyah. Okay, let's move on. We're going to now discuss in this, within this final point the, a couple of other halachas regarding the order of Kriya Torah. So, Amar Rav Masna, Hada Amrit Rebbe, sorry, I skipped. Yeah, no, Amar Rav Masna, says Rav Masna, Hada Amrit Lo, this that you say, that in the shul, you're not allowed to relinquish the honor, means the Kohen has to accept the honor of the first Aliyah, and he can't give it to somebody else. Lo Amar it's only an issue that he can't relinquish on Shabbos and Yontif when there's a lot of people in shul, and there will create enmity if he starts giving it to other people. When it comes to Monday and Thursday, he is allowed to give it to somebody else because there's not many people there and it's not going to cause any real arguments. Aini asks the Gemara, is that true? But Rav Huna took the Aliyah of a Kohen on Shabbos and Yontif and Rav Huna was not a Kohen. He was a Yisrael. So you see, even on Shabbos and Yontif, there is the capacity for Kohen to be mochel to the uh, greatest Yisrael. 
Rufuna was different because even the greatest Kohanim of Eretz Yisrael, Rami Ravasi, were, were subordinate to him because of his greatness and his generation, and therefore for him to get the Aliyah, even on Shabbos and Yantif, would have been acceptable. Amr Abayes, and we have another halacha, second halacha regarding the order of Birkat of, of Grace of Torah. Nakhtina, we have a tradition, Ein Sham Kohen, if there's no Kohen in Shul, Nisparda Chavila, then the knot has become undone. So Rashi has two explanations. Either it means you don't give a Levi the next Aliyah, he loses it the honor, or it means is that there's no specific, there's no specificity, which means you could give it to a Levi the next one, but you don't have to, you give it to a Yisrael too, either way. But Amar Abayi, another halacha, Nektinon, Ein Sham Levi, if there's no Levi in Shul, Kaira Kayan, the Kayan takes the second Aliyah as well. Aini asks the Gemara, is that true? Rabbi Yechanan says that you shouldn't have a Kohen do an Aliyah after a Kohen, meaning Rishon and Sheni, Mishum Pegamu Shal Rishon, because of the disgrace of the first. People will think that the first one was somewhat problematic, and that's why they gave a Kohen the second Aliyah to make up for the Aliyah of Kohen. So therefore, a Kohen shouldn't get the second Aliyah, and therefore imply that the first one was somewhat problematic. So this is going to be the question is, so then how could you say, Kore Kohen, that how could Abayi say, Kohen takes second Aliyah if there's no Levi? But the, the Gemara continues here, in terms of Yochanan's teaching, Levi achar Levi lo yikra, a Levi shouldn't read after a Levi, meaning Sheni and Shlishi, Mishum Pegam Shneyem, because of the disgrace of both of them. Now the Gemara is going to challenge what's the difference momentarily, but before before that we want to answer, how could Abayi say that if there's, <clears throat> how could Abayi say if there's no Levi, the Kohen takes the Aliyah, for Yochanan says, Kohen achar Kohen lo yikra because of Pegam HaShal Rishon. So the Gemara says, Kikam Rinan Ba'is HaKoyen. When we say, Abayi was saying that you should read after a Kohen, after a Kohen, he could do that. That's where it's the same person. So that's not a Pegam, because if he gets Kohen and then he gets the second Aliyah too, they're not going to say he was invalid, because he just got Kohen. But for another Kohen to read, that might imply negatively on the first one. So the Gemara now wonders, what's the difference between the two teachings of Rabbi Yochanan? Ma'ishna Levi Achar Levi, and what's the difference that when it comes to Levi after Levi, let's say Shani and Shlishi, there will be Pegam for both of them. Right? Negative implication. The Amri, because people will say, they'll say one of them is not a Levi, we don't know which one, but there's obviously something wrong. So Kohen Achar Kohen Nami asks the Gemara regarding a Kohen after a Kohen as well, that Amri, might, they might say, they'll say one of these two, the Rishon or the Shani guy, are not a Kohen. So why is it only Pegam Shal Rishon and not Pegam of the second one too? So the Gemara answers, The case is where we know with status in the city that the father of the second fellow was a Kohen. So therefore, there wouldn't be a Pegam against him. It would only be against the original person. The Gemara says, but you have to make the cases equal because Rabbi Yochanan spoke about these two laws together. So, But then it should be that also we have a status that the father of the second one in the case of the Levim, Levi after Levi, that he was Muxak being a Levi. And if that's true, why would there be Pegam against the second one? Elis, the Gemara says, Amri, Mamzeris, and Isina Nasif. Maybe the Pshat is, as the Gemara says now, it must be is that the, the guy who's getting Shlishi, the Levi who's getting the second Levi Aliyah, who's getting Shlishi in this case, they'll say, yes, yeah, father has a status of being a Levi, but maybe he married a Mamzeris or a Nesina, invalidating a Pasli Lazari, invalidating his children from Levia, and that's why they're only getting Shlishi and not getting Shani, because. Uh, clearly, he, if, even though his father is a Levi, there's some issue with his yichus, and that's why it's a pagan for both of them. So the Gemara says, if that's true, Achanami, but then regarding the Kohen too, Amri, we might say, Maybe we should say that the second fellow, 
the second fellow, his, his father, even though there's a status that he was a Kohen, he married a Grusha or a Chalutza, and in doing so, he nullified his children, validated his children's status, and if that's the case, there should also be a Pegam for staying for the second one as well. So the Gemara says, Saif, Saif, in the end of the day, even if that was true, Levi <coughs> Mikohavi, he's not a Levi. Means if Taka, his father, had married a Grusha, so then he wouldn't be fit, the second one who got the Levi Aliyah, the Kohen who got the Levi, wouldn't be fit to get the Levi Aliyah. The fact that he's getting the second Aliyah implies that he wasn't disgraced in such a way by being that his mother was a Grusha or a Chalutza, and therefore it's not Pegam Shneim. If you get Shlishi, you could say that, but not if he gets Sheni, and therefore the Gemara says is, there's no Chashash for both of them, only the first one in this case, as opposed to by the Levim, one after the other could be a Chashash because he's getting Shlishi now, there would be Pegam Shneim. Asks the Gemara Ulaman, when you're saying you're worried about the Pegam that people are going to think, right? Let's say the case Cohen after Cohen. Who is the concern regarding? Who is it we're concerned about? Eliyoshvin, if it's the people that remain in Shul, Sahakachazule, they see what's going on. Rashi says they're going to see that there's seven aliyahs. Everybody, they're going to see that there's a proper number of aliyahs and that there's no extra aliyah. And therefore, they're going to know that the second guy who got Levi, even though he got Levi in such a scenario, he's a Cohen. And the first one who got Cohen is also, they're going to know that the second one's a Cohen because he said he has the status in the city. They know that the first one's going to get Cohen. He is a Cohen actually because there were only seven aliyahs. There weren't more than the normal amount of aliyahs. So then there shouldn't be any concern at all. Hakachazule. Eliot, and the Gemara says the concern would be for those who leave Shul before the end of Kriya Satar. They'll think maybe the second one got Cohen and that's the real Cohen. Maybe there are really going to be eight aliyahs because of that. And that creates a concern about their perspective on the first guy, which is why we're not going to give a Cohen after a Cohen these aliyahs. Okay, we're stopping here at the bottom of Nuntasmid Bez, uh, the last line of the page. Bez Hashem will pick up tomorrow with Nafsamach. Everybody have a wonderful day.